Welcome everyone to the Exit Journey podcast, where we talk with CEOs, VCs, and others about the twists and turns of their journey towards a successful exit. I'm Rhonda Geet, host of the podcast and CEO of Straight Talk Marketing. My guest today is April Owry, and she is connecting founders who have excellent ideas with funds, relationships, and support that they need to succeed. She has a heart for human flourishing, and to her, part of that means allocating VC funds from underrepresented funders to underrepresented founders, especially because in study after study, they outperform traditionally funded founders. April, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rhonda, for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So why don't we start with you telling me a little about yourself and ProtoVentures. Sure. So um, I actually am a physical therapist by trade and uh, started my own company. I was from a family of entrepreneurs and so started my own company after I had a couple years of experience under my belt and scaled that to multi-site, multi-state physical therapy clinics. Exited in 2018, though that had never been my plan. Um, it uh, in 2017, 2016, 2017, um, got a, a whole slew of phone calls in a very short time frame of two weeks. Hey, could you please buy us? Hey, uh, we'd like to buy you. And I had no idea uh, what that would even mean or what that would look like. Um, so started taking some phone calls, um, talking to some of my informal business mentors who op- also happened to be very um, high up business people in the Chicagoland area who happened to be patients um, and started to just explore those conversations. Um, so in 2018, ended up um, exiting, had a a very, very nice exit. Um, That was life-changing money for me. And so also became an angel investor. Um, Things that I had never even thought that I could be uh, uh, partaking in. And so then also became an an investor, a holdings partner within Proto Ventures. And one of the things that really um, sparked my curiosity about Proto Ventures was this human flourishing piece with making money, right? Um, It was very clearly not a not-for-profit, but it was also not just profit at any cost. And so really looking at how do we have companies that um, can be built and scaled to VC scale as our our first um, bucket, if you will, and then also promote human flourishing within that. Um, And so there's lots and lots of ways to make money on this planet, right? And we wanted to be able to sleep at night. And so that is one of the things that um, really struck me about Proda. I love that. You also teach poker, which we have talked about before, and I love that. Um, And you specifically focus on teaching poker to women. Do you feel that there is a correlation between making smart bets in poker to making smart bets in the business world? I certainly do. And it is astounding to me the number of extremely smart women that I come in contact with on a literal daily basis who just stay in their own lane only and don't realize what else is available to them. And I don't know if that's you know conditioning. I don't know if that's a, a gendered thing, but I will say that the women that we teach within poker have a literal light bulb moment where they're thinking, I had no idea I could be involved in this or that um, because they don't have all the information. And most women will only act or take movement toward a direction when they feel like they there's um, they have enough information and uh, ability to move forward without having the like 
dip the toe. And so one of those skills that in particular for me that has been very, very helpful is understanding that in poker, almost every round of betting that you do is making a decision. Am I going to put money in? Am I going to fold? Am I going to raise, right? Um, without all the information that's out there, right? You know what your whole cards are. You can see what the community cards if you're at that part of the game, but you don't know what everybody else has. And then you have to start looking at what would make sense in this scenario. So for me, the way that that has really translated is um, I have never been averse to risk taking. And so for me, the opposite was true of I needed to learn when it was appropriate to dive in because I dive into everything. I'm excited about everything. I'm like, yes, we can do that. Yes, we can do that without realizing what the actual cost is. Right. And then of course, I don't have when the things that I actually do want to do, I don't have the available resources for that, whether it's time or energy or personhood or you know, all of those things. So for me, looking at, you know, how how does this then translate into into uh, like proto ventures or how does this function in making a decision for capital allocation? That literally is what poker is. Every single round you are deciding, am I going to allocate capital to this hand? Or am I not? So Proto Ventures functioning as um, an incubator and an accelerator and a professional services with a venture arm with side note, really, really good returns. We have a 400% IRR in our first two funds, which is phenomenal, right? And hoping to do the same thing on our third um, that we, we just raised and, and closed our uh, funding. So um, looking at how do we decide which companies do we put in money and time and advice into compared to what just isn't um, worth that uh, amount of allocation. I love that perspective because sometimes I think the default thinking is how do you make the decision um, without all the information, but not from a, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm already making risk and taking you know, taking those risks that a lot of other people don't. Um, I love that different perspective on that. Yeah. You also work with a lot of early stage companies at Proto Ventures. When do you feel is a good time for a company to focus on an exit as a founder? You know, we get that question a lot. And the, the truth is you never really know what is going to happen with your startup, right? I mean, nobody predicted, I mean, I guess somebody, people would say they did, but like nobody predicted COVID, right? Like, hey, the people in 2020 who are putting money in and time and effort and energy, um, hey, by the way, your, your uh, startup is going to go under because of these things. So we all go into it thinking that it's going to be successful, right? And the idea in my mind isn't so much like I'm going to have an IPO type of exit versus an acquisition exit. It's really what stage do I need to get from ideation to pre-seed, from pre-seed to seed, right? And to really have that, that's where we play around with a, a lot. Um, and then getting companies really um, set, secure, rearing to go for a good series A, right? And so when we look at, you know, what is a good time to focus on an exit as a founder? If you can kind of think of like mini exits as you go, what are the milestones that I know that I need to accomplish? And obviously you pivot within the market and you pivot within what your customers are saying that they need and want and are demonstrating are willing to pay for, right? Um, and then finding those investors who are in for that journey, right? For from here to the next. So, you know, uh, I will say when I started my own company, I, first of all, had no idea what venture was. I had never taken any money. Um, I bootstrapped the whole thing. 
and got to the point where it really was evident that in order to continue at the pace that we were, in order to, to be as secure as we wanted to be as a company, really needed to take on either investors or be acquired. Um, and that, um, you know, it, it was just very clear um, at that point. And so if you can come into starting a company with the idea that, you know, how do I become attractive as a, a company to look at what is that next piece um, that someone is going to need or want, right? And so I'm taking feedback from my customers and I'm doing something with it. If my customers are telling me that I'm not providing what they need or want by going to other companies or spending their time elsewhere, um, then I know either I don't have the right product market fit or I just need to find my better market. And I will say within the company that I started, um, everybody had been doing it in the Illinois market. Everybody had been courting physicians in order to get referrals to then get patients. And I tried that route. And um, as a very, very young entrepreneur, I was not, um, in my perspective, treated with the same amount of respect as other founders and other even sales reps um, who were then able to garner those relationships. And so for me, I was like, well, I'm either going to give up or I'm going to find the scrappy way around. And so what I did instead is I had a lost leader of my first visit. I would wow the patients, asked at our other therapists, wow the patients. And then we gave um, a piece of paper basically to the patient saying, here's your plan of care. Here's what we're going to do. And you failed at everything else that you tried around here take this to your physician and let them know that this is the place that you'd like to go and then have them sign off on it. So we had, instead of a going to the referral source, we had to go to the actual consumer of physical therapy, which was the patient. And that's how we were able to grow in scale when it looked like it wasn't going to be able to happen for us. And that's great having those different perspectives. It also impacts how you develop the company at different stages. So if you are looking for milestone to milestone versus short-term, long-term views, how does that change how you develop the company and grow the company? Yeah. So I would say, obviously at the beginning, you can go really, really scrappy and just bootstrap it and do most of it yourself. Right. Um, and you probably should be <laughs> if you're the founder and you've got the idea. Um, if you don't have that skill set, obviously supplement with a co-founder, right? Supplement with like with Proto Ventures. We as an organization will actually become a co-founder and then we pull from all of our resources within Proto to then help out that that company. So, um, you know, looking at what are the the milestones? Um, I know 2021, there was a really, really big push for just grow grow, grow, grow. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Get those investment dollars in and put them to work into a go-to-market strategy. Um, I don't think that same strategy works anymore. And so if we have listeners who are still on that, they should probably look at um, getting some different advice um, because really what is driving the markets, VC markets right now is how can you get to cash faster? And how can you get to break even faster to show that you are an actual viable company? So those milestones would look like, you know, if, if it's in the develop, um, like tech development space, right? Is your tech doing what it says it's going to do in it's the pitch deck, right? Um, yes, at some point you're going to be able to do that. But number one, 
if it's 12 months down the road that it says it's going to do that, will your customer base actually be there? Or will there be another um, morphed answer, if you will, from where you are today to there? So that's one of the reasons that we like to get paying customers from the get-go. If you've got someone who's willing to pay for it, you know that they are literally invested with their time and money and effort to get, um, if you can use them also like as your uh, research, to make it better for them, right? Because they've already found you as the solution. It's going to be challenging for them to change to a different provider for that. So you really want to say, what can we do there to get to this next piece? So, you know, iteration is important as long as it's within revenue generation, which sounds like a really silly thing um, because people are like, well, of course, if you have a company, you want to create revenue. But I can tell you from listening to hundreds and hundreds of pitches in the last couple of months, um, people have great ideas that they think are going to solve a problem without the actual, here's the plan that we're going to do month one, month two, month three to actually get there. Um, so uh, again, making revenue is one of the key milestones. And then um, also then being able to say, we've got our first thousand customers, right? That's that's a great milestone. We've got our first 5,000, 10,000 customers. And the feedback that we're getting from them says we need to serve them this way and then building to this way, whatever that iteration is. So, um, and then I think the other really big thing um, that, again, 2021 founders didn't really have to worry so much about was use of funds, really having a plan for this is the person that we're going to hire. Here's the dollar amount that they require with benefits or whatever. And this um, is then the product, this person, their KPI will be this so that we know that they've actually accomplished what we needed them to do, right? So whether that's um, building out a certain part of their tech stack, whether that is um, automating, that's a big thing right now. How do you get this on automation to scale, right? Um, or your, your customer feedback on this is the next product that they want. I think it's supposed to be this, but this is what our paying customers are telling us they want and need. So even though I want this right now, I should be building that. I, I think there is so much in there. I, I want to dig into a couple of nuggets. Uh, sure. First off, um, I love that when you are an early stage company, uh, being scrappy, bootstrapping it with your idea, but asking for help if you don't have um, all the resources that you need to make your idea a reality. When should, other than at the beginning when you need a co-founder to help supplement, um, when are some other times that a founder should reach out? Because you as a VC see hundreds of early stage companies and um, you start seeing themes. I uh, also work with early stage companies. And I think sometimes it's hard for a founder to make that jump from when do I go scrappy to when do I bring in help or advisors to get me to the next milestone. Right. I, I just had this conversation last week, which is um, two guys, they're crushing it. They have more sales than they possibly can know what to do with, but they are the bottleneck. When you as the founder are the bottleneck for either decision-making or time, right? There's only so many hours in a week. And even if you're the best workaholic in the world and you're working a hundred hours a week, if your company can't scale beyond you, then that's when you know, number one, you need to hire staff. And then of course, number two, what is it that um, in particular in this type of automated techie world that we have now for your expectations to shift? And what I mean by that is um, these two guys that I am advising, 
they were thinking that their sales cycle needed to be between 12 weeks and 16 weeks. We experimented with, it took, call it 10 hours to get the setup, an automated process by which a customer who at two in the morning is going, ah, I need this service, um, could go online, sign up and do self-serve everything. They have literally increased their margins dramatically by taking themselves out of the cycle, thinking that there was no way it's ever going to work. And they have a, call it a zero sales cycle now, zero month or zero week sales cycle where people just go on and, and use their automated processes. So I think number one would be the expectation that, well, it's always been a 12 week sales cycle in my past job. So it has to be that for this. If you can take those, um, either get the advice that you need from people who know how to do it and, or experiment with yourself, take your 10 hours, block it out, make your automations happen and test that with the market. You may be completely blown away by how many people just want your services without you. They want your service. They don't need to have you hand holding them through the entire process. And so for me as a founder, that was really hard because as the therapist, like had my hands on everybody, like I thought I needed to have my hands, you know, working people's tissues and joints and all of that. And realizing that when I was able to let go of that, control and allow other people who were extraordinarily talented and in many ways more talented than I was in some things come up, they were able to shine um, to make that happen. So, you know, a little bit different. That was a little bit more of a mom and pop shop at that point. And I didn't have scaling um, dreams in my head at that point. Um, but looking at um, if you're the bottleneck, you need to get help to automate that. If you're the bottleneck, you need to get advice on what's the next bigger step. And really, um, a very, very practical way to look at that is if I'm making a hundred dollars today at a zero, what would make me make a thousand dollars at a zero? What would make me rate up 10,000, hundred thousand million? That is how you can help reframe for yourself. Um, before you even look for somebody to advise you, how do I reframe this? If, if I want to make $10 million a day, what does that look like in my company now that needs to change? Um, because you can't get to that goal if you're constantly thinking of only solving problems here today. That is great advice. For a VC, what factors in, and this goes back to that advice and leaning on, on others that have the experience, what factors help decide whether a company should focus on an acquisition or not? <laughs> right. Well, I think right now, and again, speaking from the last couple of weeks, we've got a couple companies, one that we are probably going to fund that's in a crowded space, but it's a growing space, right? And so they probably won't be the very, very best, but they're going to be a really good top contender. And with a growing market and growing area, then it's very easy to say, oh, you'll probably go for acquisition, you, you, you. That probably, I mean, they're so far ahead, they probably will go for IPO. Um, we are trying to keep up our 400% IRR for this fund. Um, but one of the things that we really want to help founders with is if you think that you really can get to an IPO stage, really looking at developing the relationships with the CFO, with the CTO, with your go-to-market strategy person, you know, who your CMO is going to be, and really looking at um, developing the relationships when you are a couple zeros back so that you know what to look for when you need the people with that type of experience. Um, so, you know, what do we look for? It really is 
how do you take um, a founder who's never done this before and get them all the advice they need? Literally everything is available on the internet right now, right? So uh, making sure that you're listening to the podcast and all of that. But um, we would then help out with looking more at, from a proto standpoint, looking at what are the markers that they need to get to? Where is the market? Um, and because we play so early seed, um, seed stage, we aren't really looking at can this company IPO as a factor for investment. It really is more what's the growth strategy? What are the pieces that they have in place right now with their team? Do they have the experience available to do this? And, and do we think that um, they can actually make these things happen? Um, and so those are the things that we're looking at right now. What do you feel are some of the biggest challenges companies face during an exit journey that they may not know is coming? You mentioned founders who haven't done this before may not know what they're in for. I can't even tell you the process of selling my company. I had no idea how hard that was going to be. Um, and I will tell you one of the things that made it easier for us compared to any of our competitors around who actually did not get acquired um, was the ease in which they could go through our data room. And this sounds too basic and too simple, but I will tell you, we had everything squared away with Medicare. We had everything squared away with payroll. Um, again, the basic things that you're like, well, every company would have that. I can promise you not every company has that. And so, um, for a, a founder that would be looking at a potential acquisition um, or an IPO really, but an acquisition in particular, looking at what does your data room say about how you run your company? If your data room is incomplete, if your data room is not accurate, um, if your data room does not actually reflect how your company functions, or let me rephrase that, how you think your company functions, it will show you how you actually function. And so from the get-go, we strongly recommend to companies, get all your finances in order and don't do it annually, do it monthly and then quarterly. Because if you get to quarterly and you're like, whoa, things are really messed up here, you can much more easily go back for you know, three months than 12, right? So we have... Um, <laughs> we've advised founders again at the very early stages, they wouldn't know hey, you need to do your personal taxes, right? Your personal finances. This was something that was astounding to me. Not only did they want three years of trailing, um, documentation of financials for my company, they wanted that for my personal as well. And so people always say, well, you know, you have to uh, separate personal and business, but you, you really can't, they are intertwined and what you do with your personal money almost always is reflective of what you do with your um, business money. And so looking at, does your data room actually have what it needs? Is it accurate? Is it complete? Does it actually tell the picture? And then looking at your personal finance will absolutely come into that as well. Um, if you're very early stage, if you're later stage, of course, it's going to be only mostly just your company finances. Um, as, so the meticulous record keeping as awful as it feels for somebody like me to do that. Um, you just have to. And if you can't do it, that is an excellent source of outsourced money um, to get someone to, to do that for you. Um, and then what makes it easy to be acquired, right? So if you have um, a team that's coming in to look at your data room and um, they can't follow 
what's going on. It will decrease the amount of trust that they have in you as a founder or your team to say they are transparent or no, they're not. And we have to dig for this information. We shouldn't have to dig for this. Um, you know, everybody else does it this way from an accounting standpoint. And I don't know why you are doing it differently. Right. So staying on point with those things, I think is also, um, an easy, easy tip and trick to help your, um, your team that wants to acquire you to come in and be able to make those decisions more quickly. Since you have seen so many early stage companies, do you feel there are characteristics that make a company successful? I do. Um, we like to take risks at Proda uh, on founders who don't have a lot of experience and pair that with in our portfolio, so we have a diverse portfolio, founders who have a history of exits, right? Um, because you can't have your third exit unless you had your first or second, right? And so, so for us, you know, we look at, okay, if we've got a founder, what do we think that person's characteristics are? If they're a first-time founder, they have to have a verifiable history of accomplishments. And it doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, they're the best swimmer in the world and therefore we're going to fund them, right? But they have to have a history of being disciplined, taking risks, being creative. And in particular, what is their verifiable history of problem solving? You saw a problem, you went after it, the plan that you put in place actually worked without too many iterations. Um, when we look at uh, founders who have already had exits, right? Did they make similar decisions to what we think they should have made? Yes, they were successful. But again, if they're making decisions that are not promoting human flourishing, or if they're making decisions that um, we think, yeah, they made good profit on that, but that's because the, because they undercut um, people that they should have been paying more, right? We don't want to be making decisions with people in the future who were cutters in the past, right? Um, but then really the 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 big thing I think would be the, the resourcefulness and the creativity of the problem that we had was we couldn't get bank financing. Okay, well, how did you go about that? You didn't have, you know, Uncle Johnny or Aunt Cindy who were um, independently wealthy and wanted to fund you. You know, how did you go about doing this, right? Um, and that can be from we did a, uh, a friends and family round where we actually just went in and found other angel investors in a space. Didn't even know that angel investors existed, but we found out this entire network because we were specifically scrolling, looking through LinkedIn or you know, even TikTok at this point, right? Looking for people who would align with our vision, right? Um, and so really just looking at what's the resourcefulness that they were able to use to keep costs down, to get the creative answer um, that nobody else was able to get. Because if they're problem solving in those ways on the things that are just basics, everybody needs money for funding, then they're going to probably have that same method of decision-making and problem-solving for the next issue. I think that is such great advice, not only for business, but just life in general. It uh, is. And, and honestly, like, I will tell you, people are like, how did you transition from being a physical therapist and a business owner to being in VC? And you know, cause I don't have a background in finance and I don't have a background in you know, anything like that, um, that typically people do in VC. But really looking at life experience teaches you a lot. Being on this end as a, um, a financier, if you will, or a funder, I know what I'm, was, I'm looking for now because I've already been on the other side of the table as the founder, right? The person who's needing money, the person who is needing to get the relationships and the networking. And, and really 
you know, one of my big, and I know we're not at the end yet about big takeaways, but one of my big takeaways would be just invite yourself into the room. And in particular for women, women are always waiting for permission. We're always waiting for someone to tell us it's okay to do things. And I can truly say my VC experience has come from finding things online that are free, getting into rooms that I never would think that I would be invited into because I literally invite myself. I just ask for an invitation. And the worst they can say is no. Okay. We've all had people say no to us, right? But be invited to the phone call, be the person who sets up the phone call. So then you're in it. And that is one of the best ways to get into rooms that you don't think you have any business being, not because you shouldn't be there, but because you don't think you've earned the right to be there. You have with your experience, you have with what you bring to the table that isn't in the room already. So just walk in, take a seat at the poker table, take a seat at whatever table it is that you're thinking like, I don't know if I belong here. You do, you do. And just go make that happen. I love that. So let's look at the other side. So we've talked about successful and trends there. What are some common mistakes or trends that you feel are avoidable that founders should keep in mind, especially if they're a first time founder? Right. And there's this awful balance, right? Between like focus and take advice and iterate focus and take, right. And I, I see it play out so often where, um, founders, um, think that they need to be going in one direction, but the market is telling them other, their customers are telling them something else. Right. And again, if you're going to go this route, you have to then drop this because it's not the, your customers are going to get frustrated. Your team is going to be frustrated and then go after them, get that scrappy resourceful way that you're going to make that happen. Um, but if not, then the ability to pivot, the ability to say, you know what, that's what we did in 2022. That was okay. 2023 grew better, but you know what we've learned. Here's what the market's saying. Here's what our customers are saying. Here's what we know we can develop. We've got the right people on the team. And this is the way that we're going to go instead. So, you know, um, mistakes that I would say to avoid are just being so stuck in your mindset that you're unwilling to take good advice from other people. Second thing would be then being so stuck in, um, the way that you do things like, you know, th this is how I solve problems, right? Well, the way you have solved problems today won't necessarily get you there, right? So one of my favorite books, well, got you here, won't get you there, right? And so again, looking at, um, if you're making a thousand dollars a day and your company needs to be making $10,000 a day is what got that you here going to actually get you to here, right? And if not get the advice you need so that you can pivot. The other thing that I would say from a mistake standpoint is that, um, founders sometimes take so long to number one, make the decision. And then number two, once they've made it, then it's another like 16 to 20 weeks before they're actually implementing it fully, right? Because they feel like they have to have some sort of level of comfort or um, settling with the decision. The settling should come with at that moment, this is what we've decided now go act. So a big mistake that I see is that um, they don't act immediately enough once you've made the right choice. And by right, I mean the best choice that you can at the time, right? Um, so, you know, speed of action is really important when you are looking at um, shifting gears and not wasting your money, not wasting the investor's money, in particular for founders, not wasting your time because it is so stretched. Thin. Urgency is something that I feel 
a lot of early stage companies lack. Um, they're so afraid of making the wrong mistake. They take a really long time to make the decision. However, there are a few out there that I've spoken to, I'm sure that you've run into them, that they seem to change their mind every other day. Uh, how do you make that balance between making a good decision? And this might go back to our, our poker discussion earlier, but making the, the right decision with the information that you have versus making a new decision every other day. Right. I, honestly, that right. And that's the balance we talk about. So um, you've heard it say fail early, fail often, right? That was one of my favorite things about teaching poker. And I can tell you every single time I play poker, there's one woman at the, and, and many women, but in particular, one woman who's like almost on the verge of tears of putting in fake, literally no money chips into the center of the table because she's so afraid to make the wrong choice. Right. And so I think part of it is just having, we call it frustration tolerance or failure tolerance, right? Like, hey, I made that failed move that did not have the outcome that I wanted. It was the right choice at the time, but how do I then get over the emotion of it, right? Of like, my body feels hot. I feel like I can't breathe, right? Oh my gosh, I'm sweating, right? And then you get embarrassed. And, but literally, again, one of the best things about poker in particular for women in my experience has been learn how to fail in front of other people, have the emotional response that your body just can't help have, and then get on to the next round, right? Like, and then we just keep playing. And then you will find that the making the right choices will sometimes result in the outcome that you want. You win the hand. Making the right choices will often sometimes result in the wrong outcome or you lose the hand, even though you made the right choice. Either way, though, it's really about honing your decision making abilities, not so much about just learning not to fail or learning not to experience failure. Right. And so um, the so then how do you then take that and focus it in on what should I be playing? Right. Um, and you know, what, which hands really do make a, a good start. And so at the poker table, of course, if you've got, um, suited face cards, right? Like that is a no brainer decision. Yes. Right. You, you definitely go in and you probably raise on those even pre-flop. And so as a founder, if you are dealt a five, and a queen, that's probably not a good decision to make. There is a possibility, there, statistically it is possible, that you can win that hand with a five and a queen, unsuited even, right? But that does not mean that it's a good choice, right? To spend your time on, to spend your focus and energy and your 11 o'clock PM on your computer time when you really should be doing some other things like sleeping or you know connecting with your, your partners. So, um, for me, how do you help uh, founders focus? Number one is really to look at what does that person's, the founder's personality lean towards? Do they lean towards only one way? That person probably needs a little help with looking at other options. Are they a scattered founder? Many, many founders have ADHD, right? And so they're, they're bing, 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 right? Um, everything is exciting. Um, and so those founders from a personality standpoint could just maybe use a little bit of padding to say, hey, you're right. Everything is exciting. Everything is possible. Your five queen could make it. But do we have in this realm here something that's, you know, queen king, right? Let's put our efforts there instead, because the likelihood of success there is going to be better. 
And that's across the board, no matter what type of founder you are, you know, which, which country you come from, are you, uh, you know, whatever your experience level is, you know, are you experienced? Are you not experienced? That will help you with the outcomes that you're looking for. Any other advice that you have for founders or CEOs that are looking towards an exit that you feel should be a negative takeaway? If they take nothing else away, what advice would you have for them? Talk to other founders and talk to other CEOs who have exited. The investors who are going to, or, you know, PE firm or whomever, the other company that's going to acquire you um, will have their own set of very biased um, answers and questions for you, right? Because they are looking for certain pieces of information. Founders who have already gone through it would be able to say, this is the best part of it. This is the worst part. You can't um, get past the worst part. Um, you're just going to have to experience it, but the upside is going to be so much better for you. Um, so for myself, like I, I hadn't talked to any other founders who had done this. Um, and, and I wish I had, I didn't realize how challenging it would be for myself, for my staff. I, I, I thought that the way that I had set it up was going to be fantastic for everybody. And, and it wasn't, and I wasn't prepared for, um, the massive disappointment um, that it was for many people in my circles. Um, I also wasn't prepared for um, the work that it took to get to exit and the the on and off of negotiation, right? That whole, uh, once you decide like, yes, we are, we are going to probably sell this entity, um, what that then looks like within uh, the different conversations and what is the interview process and what questions should I be asking of the people that may be acquiring my company. Um, and so I think talking to other people, number one takeaway is talk to other people, reach out, make the phone call that you're afraid to make because it will absolutely give you the information that you want. Um, maybe, right, let's see, information you need, maybe not the information you want so that you can make a better choice for yourself. And if you can't get around the negative part of it, at least you'll know that it's coming and you can have some sort of, you know, padding for yourself of, um, you know, what are my boundaries here and, and what am I willing or not willing to, to go through? So, um, uh, and then my other big takeaway just for all people listening to this podcast is reach out to the people that you're like, there's no way they would take a meeting with me. They probably will. And if you reach out to 10 people and nine of them won't, one of them will. And that one conversation can set you on a whole different path of information, um, availability for financing, availability for the decision makers that you're going to need down the road. It can open you up to conversations and um, uh, networks for people who uh, have already gotten the experience that you need and then can either become your mentor, you know, maybe they didn't even realize that they were going to be a mentor, right? But you can glean information from them, just talking with them, even if they're not a, a formal mentor. So um, make the call, do the reach out on LinkedIn, um, you know, obviously try and find a way that make it a warm intro, but the, the reach out is really important because you will be surprised at how many people are really interested in helping you. I completely agree with that. There's so many people out there that want to help and share the mistakes and the journey that they've been on. So definitely reach out to people that seem like a stretch. You never know. They might respond. Yes. Well, April, it has been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I always enjoy chatting with you. Thank, Thank you. you so um, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, 
for the Exit Journey podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast to talk about their exit journey and the path that they took for a successful exit or maybe even a bumpy one because you can learn a lot from failures as much as successes please contact us. The info is in the description or you can visit straighttalk.marketing. Until next time, we wish you successful navigation of the potholes and pitfalls and near exit journey.